It is Thursday evening, the 23rd of May 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 41 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. You may have noticed that it is Thursday evening and not Friday morning, which is the typical day we put out the podcast. The reason for the change is that I'll be travelling to Christchurch Friday morning also tomorrow morning, right around the time that I'd normally be putting out the podcast. So apologies for the last minute schedule change. I just thought it'd be easier to, to get everything out there tonight. Saves the hassle in the morning for me. So for today's episode, I'll talk about steel and tube. I'll talk about the Infratil takeover of Vodafone New Zealand, which I've been dying to, to get to over the last couple of episodes, but haven't been able to because we've had some guests on the show. And if I get time, I'll also talk about Plexure, the annual report, and the Metro Performance Class update. But I'll start with Kiwi Property Group. I don't think that they've ever gotten a mention on the podcast before, so welcome to the podcast for Kiwi Property Group. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code KPG. They own a bunch of property assets in New Zealand with a focus on shopping malls and shopping centres, sort of like how, how similar to Westfield, which you may have heard of. So the jewel in, in their crown, in, in my view, is Sylvia Park, and the rest, the most of their assets are focused in the top half of the North Island, with the exception to that being the Northlands Mall in Christchurch. So they reported the annual results with a net, net profit after tax of $138.1 million. This is up from $120.1 million in the prior year. And I always find these numbers a little bit misleading from property companies. The reason being, and, and I'm quoting from the financial statements here, is that the net fair value gain on property sorry, on investment properties is included in the income statement as revenue. And if, if that doesn't make sense, let me explain it in a different way. Imagine if you had an investment property, say for argument's sake that you didn't own any debt on it and it was worth $1 million and it was generating a, a 5% rental yield, which is 50k in rent. And say this financial year you decided to get the property revalued, the new value and the new value was $1.2 million. The rent you receive is still 50k. In most people's calculus, the revenue that they generate from the property would be $50,000. And any net gain in the property value would be realised as a capital gain when the property was sold. And this does not seem to be the case with listed property companies. So in, in the listed property company example, that two hundred k would be record, recorded as essentially a, fair, a, a net fair value gain on investment properties and, and booked as sort of profit. So what what's the problem with this? And th there isn't really a... A, a problem with it is I just find it, I think that most people make the assumption that profit is cash-based, um, which is, isn't necessarily the, the case. And, and the, the trouble is these, these numbers are often reported in the media as profit. And I think for most investors, it's a little bit confusing. Now, obviously, that's not the fault of KP, of Kiwi Property Group. You know, they, they don't write their accounting rules. And obviously, the, the change in property value should be recorded in the financial statements. But it is my view that they sh it shouldn't be presented in this way, at least in the income statement. Anyway, so I, I think if, if you look at the cash flows from operating activities in the cash flow statement, it's a better way to assess what is the, what the business is generating in terms of cash. Um, obviously, the the change in property value is incredibly important for a property company, and there's a number you should think about, but I don't think you should think about it in, in relation to, to, to profits and everything like that. Anyway, 
So this is down from 108 million in 2018 to 100 million in 2019. So around 100 million they're generating cash. KPG has a market cap of 2.2 billion. So that places it on 22 times operating cash flow, which is about a 4.5% capitalization rate, which might be slightly slightly higher than what you'd probably receive on a Auckland investment property at the moment. So in that respect, and considering the quality of their real estate, you could make the argument that it is valued about right. That The biggest factor that will influence the future stock performance is probably interest rates, which are, in my view, virtually impossible to predict, although you, you would argue that it is on a lower side, although I remember very recently everyone thinking that interest rates were low for them only to get lower. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. And if the environment that we find ourselves in, in the moment at the moment with low interest rates continues, then we'll probably look back or, or, or it gets even cheaper, then we'll probably look back and think that the stock is quite cheap at the moment. However, if we ever find ourselves in a world where interest rates are 5, 6, 7 or even 8%, then it's probable, I imagine, that there'll be a revaluation of the Kiwi Property Group stock price. And that wouldn't necessarily be to, by that I mean a revaluation downwards, and that would would most likely not, not have anything to do with the company performance itself. Although in a higher interest rate environment, you would expect them to make less money because like any property company, they do use some debt and they'd have to pay more money on that debt. Anyway, the company increased its full-year dividend to 6.95 cents per share. That's up from 6.85 cents per share in the previous year. And they are operating the dividend reinvestment scheme again. So they'll be issuing shares to pay the, pay the dividend for people that want it. Don't get me started on that. They expect to increase the dividend to 7.05 cents per share in the next financial year. And I, I hope it's not lost on you that you can increase the dividend in any number that you want if you plan to issue shares instead of paying it, but that's beside the point. Anyway, total retail sales from their shopping centres increased to $1.53 billion. That's up 2.4% on a like-for-like -like basis. I guess that number is same-store sales, essentially, which we speak about in relation to retail companies. And it's it's nice to see that. It means that their, their tenants on the whole are doing well. They renewed 747 leases during the period with an average rent increase of 4% and obviously a situation where sales increased by 2.4% and rent and rent increases by 4% cannot continue forever you know obviously if that was always the case then eventually you'd get the to the point where rent is higher than sales so you need to keep an eye on that number um, they also made comment on con on continuing development in Sylvia Park and if if you're in Auckland head down to Sylvia Park and you can see that development firsthand so all in all, without, without getting too deep into it, it's a decent year for KPG. They, I think they've got some of the best property assets in New Zealand, at least from a shopping centre point of view, and, and that's just my view. And the valuation, however reasonable, it doesn't make it a screaming buy at the moment, in my view. It's not like it's something you're buying at a 10% capitalisation rate or anything like that. Okay, so the next company is Steel & Tube. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code STU, and to be honest, it's not a company that I follow too closely. And you know what, what they do is is easy enough to understand if if you follow it. But it is sort of outside of my wheelhouse. I do like having them on the NZX though, and I think it provides some good diversity to the market. And I, I can't really analyze their trading update in too much detail. It's the kind of trading update that has a lot of jargon and a lot of things going on that you need to be following the company to understand. You know, phrases like FY18 normalised EBIT has been restated or 
New information has identified that approximately 4 million of the significant inventory write-offs taken in FY18 were related to that year's production process and should have been included in the assessment of cost of goods sold in FY18 normalised earnings. <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. Here's another one. Steel and Tube anticipates paying a final FY dividend in line with its dividend policy. The company retains comfortable headroom over its key bank facility covenants and has strong support from its banking syndicate. So there's a lot going on in this update, even though it was only a page update or whatever it was. There's a lot of a lot of stuff happening there. I think it was one of those ones where you need to be keeping up to play with what's happening in the company to fully comprehend what is good or bad in that report. Because but all those statements I said could be interpreted both in a good or a bad way, depending on the context you're coming from. So it's difficult for me to comment too much. They did sort of annoy me last year when they sold shares through a share issuance to raise capital at one price and then rejected a takeover offer by Fletcher Building at a much higher price. And with the justification, at least part of the justification was that the Fletcher Building offer undervalued the stock. And I don't know what you're doing listing more shares at a price where you think the the stock is undervalued, certainly issuing it at a price that's much below the price where you felt the stock was undervalued. Anyway, I think they should have come up with another reason for that. Um, I, I don't think it's a good look to sell shares at a lower price and then turn around and say that your stock is undervalued at a much higher price. Fletch Building actually pointed that out in their comment on the takeover. They said that the offer was a 58% premium to the weighted average capital raise of a 107. So just looking at the stock chart, it looks like the stock is trading below where it was trading before the Fletcher offer was made. I think the offer from Fletcher was, did it get raised to 190 in the end? And I think the, the stock trades pretty close to a dollar right now. So without, in fact, let me just, um, might want to double check that claim. Excuse the, the type in there. Oh, so a dollar oh three, yes, yeah, so it's hugging pretty close to a dollar, which is actually below the capital raise price. So, you know, w- without knowing too much more or about it, my guess is that there there could be some very disappointed stockholders asking some very serious questions at this point. Just if the stock continues to languish for any period of time, so it'd be an interesting one to watch. I mean, if the stock stays at one oh three, if the market values at that for a material period of time, then you'd have to be asking some questions of management. What are they doing turning down an offer at $1.90? But that's by the by. And, you know, this is this at this stage is a short-term price movement and it could turn out in the future that $1.90 does significantly undervalue the stock. So we'll see. Okay, so moving on. Um, like I said, is due to some recent interviews that we've done on the podcast, I haven't had the opportunity to, to talk about the the acquisition of Vodafone New Zealand by a, a partnership. I'm not sure if partnership is the right legal word, actually, but let's call it a partnership between Infratil and Brookfield Asset Management. So that's the takeover of Vodafone New Zealand. So they are buying this from Vodafone PLC, which is the parent company of Vodafone in, in the UK, and they're buying it for an enterprise value of $3.4 billion. And I believe that the split between the two companies is 50-50. So first thing you'll notice is that half of $3.4 billion is a, is a hefty acquisition for Infratil. I mean, Infratil's current market cap is around $2.4 billion. So they're effectively taking on something that is 70% of the value of, the, of their current market cap. So take what you want from those numbers, but 
one thing that you can say is is quite clear and obvious is that it's an important acquisition for Infratil, and it's it's quite an interesting. Vodafone has has quite an interesting backstory in New Zealand. I mean, it's obviously been on the chopping board for some time now, and the previous deal with Sky TV, you know, that that blew up quite publicly a, a little while back. And I actually saw a, a presentation a few years ago from Tim Brown from Infratil, who have had on the podcast in the past, who expressed a little bit of surprise, and he felt that that deal should have been allowed to go through. So it's interesting. That sort of suggests to me that it's something that Infratil has been following for some time as well. So according to the press release, Vodafone New Zealand generated EBITDA of $463 million in the 12 months ending March 2019. So get your calculators out, or you don't need to, I've already done it, you you find out that that's 7.3 times 7.3 times trailing EBITDA, that's what they've paid for it. And, and as we know, EBITDA by nature ignores a lot of important costs, but it's still worth comparing it to something else. So the closest thing that we have in New Zealand would be Spark, and I should say it's the closest, not not identical. That's for all the people that are listening that are telling me now that under their breath that Spark is a completely different company to Vodafone. Um, anyway, so according to Spark, Spark themselves generated... 989 million, call it 1 billion of EBITDA in the last financial year. So Spark trades with a market cap of around 7 billion, so that's seven seven times EBITDA. So on a comparable basis, the acquisition is right in the ballpark of, of similar companies. So it seems, you know, it seems that you, you, you can't say from that that they, you, you, well, what you can take from that is that they didn't pay an excessive price. So the deal is, is conditional upon the Overseas Investment Office approval and Commerce Commission clear, clearance. So I imagine Infratil would feel pretty confident about this or else they wouldn't have pushed forward, but I'm sure, and I know Sky felt the same way. So what to say about it? It's obviously a big swing for Infratil. You know, they're not trying to accumulate singles here. They're, they're clearly trying to hit fours and sixes. So where are they getting the money from? I hope <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed the the cricket analogy there. Message me if you didn't. I'll figure out how to make you a top fan on the Facebook page. Um, so you, you can't buy something that is seventy percent of your market cap without asking how you're going to pay for it. It's not. It's obviously not something that they're just going to pay from cash that they're sitting around in the petty change account. If that makes sense. So both both Brookfield and Infratil are contributing just over a billion, with the balance being paid for by debt raised by Vodafone. So it's almost like a in that in that way a, a partial leveraged buyout. So or maybe you could say it is like a leveraged buyout. So to get a billion dollars Infratil uh raise and I don't know how Brookfield are, are getting a billion dollars, but that's not really the focus. So to get a billion they're raising four hundred million dollars from equity, and by this I mean they're listing more shares and selling them. They're also taking on four hundred million more in debt. And this might be a coincidence and I'm sure they'll say it is, but I noticed that Infratil have been selling down some assets recently, and I've also noted that Trust Power has announced a special dividend. So with Infratil as the largest shareholder, it could be that this will help with the acquisition. So to me, this seems like a, a very typical Infratil-type play. And in Vodafone New Zealand, you have a, a large and established business with solid cash flows, and I imagine also that it's probably been a bit neglected by its its parent company in, in the UK. 
it's it's hard to imagine. I, I can't say that with any certainty, but it's it's hard not to imagine that some sort of efficiencies can be generated from having a, a local owner standing over your shoulder. And I think in assessing this deal, that's something that Infratil will be taken into consideration. What efficiencies can be made there? I'm not sure if that's just general business efficiencies, if there's any synergies that could be involved with some of Infratil's current businesses, or if... Perhaps there might be some layoffs or some cost cutting or I'm not sure or maybe they're just happy to use the cash flow to pay down debt and increase the value or whatever it might be or maybe there's some sort of, maybe we're going to see a whole bunch of spending from Vodafone New Zealand in the same way that we're seeing that from Spark at the moment into different fields as well. I'm not sure. I think what you should be thinking about is shareholders of Infratil, I think you should be asking the following three questions. So the first is, has Infratil paid a good price for the deal? And that, that's an obvious one. Have For Infratil, you know, you, they're using your shareholder equity to, 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 to buy this, to make this acquisition. You know, you want them to be, to be getting good prices. So that's the first question. Seven times EBITDA, that you know, it's, it seems reasonable to me. It's obviously you're buying at a similar valuation to Spark. So, you know, they certainly, it's hard to say exactly, but you, you, you argue that they haven't paid too much anyway. Next question is, will the extra debt that they have taken on at the holding company along with the debt taken on at Vodafone be a burden? And, you know, basically, will that place any risk on the company? The third question, and I guess this ties into the, into the first question, is Infratil has issued shares for the deal. And are shareholders getting more value than, than the part of the company that they have sold in the share issuance? So basically, you only want to be issuing stock if you're getting more than $1 of value than the stock that you've issued. And I, I can't really, well, I sort of answered the, the first one a little bit, I can't really answer these questions for you. And if I did, it, it, it might my my view might come up with a completely different view from yours and it's not to say that my view is right or wrong and, and I, I don't fully know the answers either. So, I, But those are the three questions you need to be thinking about when assessing the deal. So I said at the start of the episode that I would get to Plexure and Metro Performance Glass if I had the time. It turns out that I don't, sorry. I, <laughs> I have to get sorted as I'm leaving early doors tomorrow. So many thanks again for listening into the podcast as a reminder that nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share it with your friends. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 41 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Thursday, not Friday, the 23rd of May 2019. I'll see you all again next week.